Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Well, welcome. Have a seat on this beautiful Sunday morning. Our weather seems to be perplexed. It's not sure whether it's fall or summer or what's going on. But it's fun that we get to enjoy a little bit more sunshine because seasons will change. But I'm not actually here to talk about the changing of seasons, um, but I am excited for the word. We've been talking about the importance of passing on your faith. Our faith should outlive us. If your faith dies with you, that was a fail. Um, We we call it the Great Commission uh, throughout Scripture, where Jesus calls every believer and tells them to go make disciples. He calls all of us and says, hey, we should all be sharing our faith. We should be passing it on. If you are a parent or a grandparent, there is no greater uh, call, there's no greater spot that you want to pass on your faith than to your descendants. And so as we talk about passing on your faith, for some of you guys, it's going, hey, yeah, I have children and I want to pass it to my children. For others, it's like, no, I want to pass it to the guy who works next to me. I want to pass it to, and so wherever you're at, uh, in, in life, there's still people to pass your faith onto. So we want to look at that together. And I started talking about this, and we have made it through five points in a couple weeks. So I'll get a little bit of review for those who missed. If you want to pass on your faith, number one, you need to be on purpose and involved. There will always be more things in life to do, but the time that we have to pour into others is limited. So make it a priority. Look for the opportunities. And number two, model it. Model the faith that they should have. Invite them to be a part of it with you. Number three, correct and redirect. Our culture tells us that to disagree is unloving, but that is completely foolish because to agree with someone else's demise is unloving. And so we, we want to look and we go, okay, I want to be on purpose. I want to model it. I want to be willing to have hard conversations, even if it is correcting something. I want to bless them. And this is number four, bless and affirm them in the direction that they should go. Um, it is, our, our culture says, no, just affirm them. Just, okay, that's not kind. That's not loving. We want to bless and affirm them in the right direction. Uh, If you've done this, no judgment, okay? But have you ever encountered a parent who doesn't want you to correct the way their kid says something because they don't want them to grow up? Have you ever had this and they're like, I know they say this wrong. Don't correct it. It's so funny. And you're like, okay, okay. So why why do they not want you to correct it? Because if you don't correct it, they'll continue to do it. And... Maybe they just think it's funny. Maybe they're trying to hold on to the fact that their baby is little and they want him to stay little. In in this strange pronunciation, it's probably not a big deal. But what about when it's a moral issue? Because if my goal of not correcting them as a little kid when they don't say it right is that I don't want them to change, what am I saying if I refuse 
to admonish them and correct them in the right direction as they get older and it's a moral issue. And we have to sit here and go, well, if I don't, if that means I don't want them to change and I know they need to change, then I need to be loving and bless them and affirm them in the right direction. There's a lot to that point, but we get to preach a different message. So, number five, stop the compromise now. The compromise of the parents becomes the normal for the kids. The compromise of the fathers becomes the destructions of the sons. And so it's so important that we begin to deal with some of these things now. Now, as we get into tonight's, I got to start with something. Babies don't know anything. Now, I was completely shocked. Babies are not dumb. They are ignorant. They are a miniature sponge that comes out knowing like nothing. Their subconscious will allow them to breathe, have their heartbeat, digest, and suckle. And like, that's like, that's, that is the wholesome of their knowledge and accomplishments. I remember having kids and I took for granted a lot of things. I knew you had to teach your kids a lot. But when we had our firstborn, and I don't know how old he was. He wasn't very old yet. I mean, this is in the first couple days. And you're like looking at him. He's so cute. And he's looking at you. And then he goes like this, bam. And then he looks at you like, why did you do that? And starts to cry. It's like, it was you. But he was literally so ignorant that he was unaware that he is the one controlling his limbs. Because he was just born. And he has to learn that, oh, wait, every time I do that, that then this thing moves. And I'm going to tell you, hey, I can get my passy up here. And like, like they, there's this process of, of learning. But if our kids are born completely ignorant, knowing nothing, then anything that we value that they should know, we are going to have to teach them. And so number six is tell them. Tell them what God has done and tell them what you've learned. Psalms chapter 78, verse four says, uh, tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. And it goes on, it says, he command, commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them so that the children unborn and arise, tell them to your children so that they should set their hope on God. Uh, there is, I was trying to remember who I was listening to talking about communication. And he said, there is something called the curse of knowledge. When we know something uh, and we know it really well, it is very easy to assume that what I would consider common knowledge is common knowledge. It is not. How many of you guys have ever talked to a professional who said stuff and just made your head spin? It doesn't even matter what the thing is, whether it's the plumber, the electrician, the IT. IT is amazing for this. Doctors are amazing for this. You ask them a question, they're like, oh yeah, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, was that English? And they're like, yes. Can you dumb it down a little bit? This is not my field of expertise. I do not know what you are talking about. And anything that you get into, if you get into it far enough, you discover that they have their own language and jargon, whether it's medical, whether it's IT, whether it's a sport, everybody ends up with this. And when you talk to someone who's out of your element, you can get frustrated because you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. 
I begin to think, well, well, who's going to teach them? Am I assuming that my children know just because I know? Because it's really easy to do. And, and that's why the I, IT people don't sit here and go, I'm going to make this next guy who walks in feel like an idiot. I'm going to see how many terms I can use that he doesn't know. Maybe someone does, and then they're just a jerk. But most of the time, that's not the case. They're just like, this is so common to them. They're like, oh, did you do this, 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 and this? And you're like, I don't even know what those things are. Like, oh, wait a minute. But just like they can assume, so can we. And we can assume that the people at our work who don't go to church, it's because they know everything and have turned it down. We can assume that our children should just know rather than going, the reason that they don't go to church is because they haven't met my Jesus. The reason they don't love him like I love him is because they haven't encountered him like I've encountered him. I just need to let them know. And like, it's amazing. And, and I've realized, how many of you guys have ever forgot something? Anyone? The rest of you don't even remember what you forgot. It's that bad. <laughs> But it's easy to forget even big things. Maybe you're talking to somebody, and as you talk to them, they're like, oh, do you remember when? And you're like, oh, hmm. Wait, now that you mention it, yeah, that was a great vacation. I remember that story. Well, it's easy to move past even amazing things that God does and to forget the wonderful things that God's done in our life. But sometimes we can do better and we can go, you know what? I am not going to forget the fact that God took me from a place of brokenness. God took me from a spot where I was empty. God took me from a spot where I was depressed. God took me from a spot where I was believing lies and he rescued me. And he told me who I am and he, and he forgave me. And we can remember all these things and he healed me and he set me free and, and we get excited. But do you know that your kids don't know that? Just because it changed your life doesn't mean your kids know unless they watched it. And a lot of us, God did a work in our life, and then we had kids. Or the kids were so little, they're totally unaware. Or the kids were so uninvolved because of how awful we used to be that they missed what God did. As I begin to look at this, I begin to, actually, as I was started working on this, and it was a couple months back, I told my wife, I'm like, we have seen God do so many amazing things, but how many of them do we remember? How easy is it for us to forget? And how many of them have we told the kids about? And we were like, you know what? We got to do something. And I, I can't remember who we heard speak who mentioned a shelf of remembrance. And they're like, all right, that's weird. What is this? He's like, we have a shelf and we put stuff on it. We don't want to forget. Like, well, that shelf of remembrance, that's how that works. He goes, so we started putting things. When, when God would do something cool in our life, we would put a, something that would remind us of that on the shelf. And I'm like, okay, that is super simple. And so we like moved things around and we had like a dresser and we started putting stuff on it and it was a disaster and looked awful, but it was really cool, but it was messy. So she ended up like a jar full of stuff. And I'm like, what's, what's in this jar? And it was so cool when we started talking about it. And because it was like, all right, the kids are like, what are we doing? I'm like, we're setting up a shelf of remembrance. And they're like, all right. And you put something on it, and they're like, why did you put a baby doll on the dresser? I'm like, I am so glad you asked. I put a baby doll on that because years ago, there was a girl in our church who went to her doctor's appointment because she was pregnant, 
And the doctor looked at her and said, hey, I'm so, so sorry. Your baby has died. There is no heartbeat. Um, it doesn't, you know, hasn't passed, hasn't been growing. We're going to have to do um, a DNC. We're going to have to remove the baby. And, and she went out broken and she called my wife and she's talking and comes over and she's talking with Amanda and goes, hey, and Amanda's talking how she can pray for her. She's like, is it, is it wrong to believe for my baby to come back? And Amanda's like, not at all. <laughs> and Amanda prayed with her. And then she went to the doctor this next week because she was supposed to have this follow-up and they, because the baby didn't come out, they wanted to do the DNC. And she's like, no, not until you do an ultrasound. And they're like, we already did that. And she's like, no, you're going to do an ultrasound. Um, and so she ends up, they do an ultrasound and they're like, oh, look, you have a healthy baby. And so there's a baby on the shelf. So you look and there's, we had to go find an inhaler. We actually asked a friend, like, who's got an inhaler? Because my wife, when she was a kid, had horrible breathing issues. Like when we first got married, my mother-in-law had saved every medical thing that my wife had ever needed. And we're like, what am I going to do with this crate full of things? I'm like, we have like inhalers and breathing treatments and uh, brace thing. And like, we had all this stuff from things that God had healed. And I should have saved it. I didn't. So then we're like, all right, who's got an inhaler? Because we need it for our shelf. And the and kid's are like, what is this? And you're like, mom used to have trouble just to breathe. Mom had these different issues, but God. And God healed her. And, and they're like, well, this is amazing. And then there was, we, we had drones and rocks and peanuts and lactate pills and um, all of these. <laughs> okay, for those who are like, what? Not to make someone lactate, we are not. It is a thing to help someone digest dairy who struggles with it. <laughs> but we had some allergies in our family that are no longer. And the kids remember going, hey, wait, that's something I used to take every time we were going to have milk, ice cream, cheese, and I don't have to anymore. And you're like, that's right, because God healed you. And there's a peanut there because you were allergic to peanuts and you are no longer. And we can go through these different things and remind them. And it's things, some of them are things that happen to us, but they forget the things that God's done in their life as well. We went and found a little bike and stuck it up there. It's a little, actually, I think it's a, it's a Lego motorcycle, but it's our bike reminder because that's what we could find. Um, because Esther, as a little girl, didn't know how to ride a bike, but she decided she wanted a bike. And so she's sitting like before bed and she's praying and she doesn't just go, God, I want a bike. She said, God, I want a princess bike. And I want it to have these princesses, and I want it to have, and she like starts listing off in detail, like all of these features. And you're like, what? That is like ridiculous. Sometimes your kids can pray, and you can like take notes and play like Santa, and like, and you're like, hey, I'm going to help make this happen. This was like a detailed list. We were not going to run out and find, but I think it was the next day, if not, it was sometime within that week, a friend called up and goes, hey, our daughters are getting bigger. They've got a bike that is no longer being used. Would your daughter like that bike? And she's like, yeah, that'd be great. She brings it over. It's a princess bike. And one of the really random detail, like, I mean, Esther had prayed out and she wanted, I think, polka dots on, I think, the seat. 
Someone else gave us a, a bike that was too small with a polka dotted seat and the seat on the bike that came was broken so we had to swap it over. In detail, what she'd prayed for. Now, do you think that your four-year-old's gonna remember that for life? Not if you don't remind them. Your four-year-old doesn't remember anything. You realize how few memories that you have from before kindergarten? Um, they were probably traumatic. <laughs> like, but we set it up and said, hey, let, let us remind you. Let us remember what God has done. Let us tell those around us what God has done. And you can do this with your children, but you can do this with people at work. You can do this with your neighbors. You can tell them, hey, can I tell you what God has done? When you, I, I had a uh, coffee with somebody this week, and we were talking, and we were talking about some different stuff, and, and I don't I remember what question he asked, but it was my excuse to, to like, talk about what God's done. And for, like, the next 20 minutes, I'm like, and then God did this, and then God did this, and then we got to be a part of what God was doing over here, and God did this, and this is, and, and I just watched him. By the time our tw that 20 minutes was up, he's all like, yeah, like just fired up because I got to just share some of what we've been a part of, some of what God is doing. And in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it says, and they, they have conquered him, being the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. We are called to share what God has done. And when we do, others are drawn in. Others are inspired. Others are given hope. And it's so powerful as we share what God's done, but we also want to share with our children what we've learned. There is this idea that my kids need to think that I'm perfect. I have news for you. Your kids know better. They know you're not perfect. But I can't tell you how many parents I've talked to who have been devastated because their kid made the same mistakes that they did because they never told the kid about the mistakes they made. And they just said, don't do that. When, have you ever watched someone do something dumb and get hurt? Anyone ever do that? Anyone decide not to do it? You, you watch them like grab a pan and you're like, ooh, that one's hot. That, that, they just got burned. I, I will get hot pan holders. Or like you, you watch someone do something that results in injury and you look and you go, I, I will learn from that. Don't do what they just did. With our children, we need to be willing to be honest and go, you know what? Hey, I've made mistakes. I went down that road and it does not work out. Down that road is pain. All right. And this is what happened to me because I made stupid choices. And, and there's age-appropriate levels. You don't need to sit down with your four-year-old and go, let me tell you every dumb thing I've ever done. Let me tell you how I, and you're like, oh, no, that, that's not, like, you. but it might be, you know what? Hey, when I was young, I made a mess of my life, and God got a hold of me and saved me from it. And that might be the age-appropriate thing at four, but later they, you may be going with your kids going, hey, as you head into dating, there's things, conversations we need to have because I didn't do it all right, and there's some scars inside of me because I messed some things up. There's some safeguards that you want to put in your life because I got burned because I didn't do it right. And here's spots where God helped me, and here's spots where God forgave me, but if, if we don't ever share with them, how could they learn from the mistakes that we made? And you don't have to have an every night, here's everything mom and dad did wrong, but you need to be willing to have some conversations 
You need to be willing to teach them and let them learn from you because you want to learn from those lessons. All right, number seven, share it kindly. Okay, whether you are a parent or not, who's got an opinion? Everyone's got opinions. Some of us just have louder ones than others. Or maybe we just like to express our opinions more or more adamantly. And some people like to express their opinions in particularly behind a keyboard. You know, I don't know. There's just, there's this thing where all of us have uh, a lot to say. But how you say it is as important as it is what you say. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 25, 15 says, With patience a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. So I, I begin kind of like pondering this and thinking about different people throughout the Bible. And Daniel, in the Bible, is a, a crazy character because he starts his life out, as far as we know, our first mention is that his city was under siege, his city lost, his family was killed, and he was taken into captivity. Not a great start. He starts at the bottom uh, as a captive, as a slave, but we watch him rise in power under three different kings and become one of the most influential people under three different rulers. And you go, why, how was he able to get relational credit with, with all these different people, with people who looked down upon his culture, with people who didn't like him to start with? How did he become someone great? And in Daniel 2, you see one of his early encounters, one of his first encounters with one of the kings. He goes through and in fact, the king is having a bad day, has this dream, wants it interpreted, says, hey, I think they're going to lie to me. You got to tell me the dream as well as what it means. And the, the rest of the wise guys are like, hey, nobody can do that. He's like, that's it. You're all liars. You're going to die. I'm going to have all, all the wise people executed. And you're like, that, that, not good. So they come to Daniel and they're like, well, we got to kill you. Why you got to kill me? And he's like, because these guys couldn't answer his question. He's like, give us a minute. Let us pray and we'll answer the king's question. So he gets, gets the answer. Now, most of us, if, if we were in Daniel's shoes and God spoke to you, gave you the vision that he'd given to the king and said, now you can go tell the king, we would come before the king and we're like, <clears throat> Hey, king, guess what? I got the interpretation to your dream. Yep, so don't kill me. I'm awesome. In fact, you need me. And, and, and we would be very tempted to give, to highlight our credit. But I watch in Daniel chapter 2, he, he call, gets called before the king. And the king's like, you got this. And he goes, um, and he sits here and he goes, nobody can do this. No wise man or enchanter or astrologer can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to the king what will be in the latter days. He didn't say, he has made known to me what you dreamed that will be in the latter days. He goes, he has made known to you. And in this encounter, instead of elevating himself, he honored 
the king. And he goes through and he goes, he who reveals mysteries made known to you. And he goes on, and he gave it to me in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king. Um, After he goes, it's not because of any wisdom that I have, but in order that it be known to you, king. And when he gets done, the king truly answers, truly your God is God uh, of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. Daniel does this with humility and kindness. And when he does, he wins the ear of the king. He wins the ear of Nebuchadnezzar. Later, he wins the ear of Belshazzar. And then later, he wins the ear of Darius. He keeps winning the favor and the ear of kings because he could speak kindly and humbly and deliver. And he he was rooted in the word. There's there's a lot that makes Daniel great, and that's a whole series. But I looked at this and was like, okay, Proverbs tells me that this is This is what makes it persuasive. This is what allows you to communicate in a way that people can hear. But I'm like, is there there a better example? Is there an example of this going right and wrong? And in the book of Judges, there is two guys who go through the exact same problem, but handle it completely different. In Judges chapter uh, six, no, sorry, Judges eight, you catch up to Gideon. Gideon has just been used of God to fight an impossible battle. And God had wheeled his forces down. And I'm giving you the really, really short version. So you can read Judges. And I think his story actually starts in chapter six if you want to get the full story. But God whittles his army down to a little bit. He goes into a battle outnumbered 450 to one, relying on God and wins. This amazing battle. Afterwards, the the men of Ephraim get mad because he didn't bring them to battle with him against the enemy. And so they get mad and they're like, we want to kill you. And they accused him fiercely. And he said to them, what have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the grapes here? Uh, And he goes, God has given into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. What have I been able to, to do in comparison with you? Then their anger against him subsided when he said this. When, they took a, when he took a calm, honoring conversation, he just defused them. And they walked away. But you just go four chapters later, chapter 12, God just used Jephthah to deliver the Israelites. And again, The men of Ephraim were called to arms and crossed over. Why did you cross over to fight against the Ammonites and did not call us? But he responds um, and says, I and my people had a great dispute. So notice this. I and my people had a great dispute with the Ammonites and I called and you did not save me from their hand. And when I saw that you would not save me, I took my life in my own hand and crossed over against them. Jeff, and then it goes on and says, Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And it ends, 42,000 of Ephraim fell. They had a civil war because he was proud. And so were they. And 42,000 men died. Now, 
Hopefully at your house, you don't have a civil war and have thousands of people dying. But you can have conversations that get settled or conversations that turn into battles. This is true with your kids. This is true with your spouse. This is true at work. And if we want to be able to pass anything on, we have to learn how to communicate it into a way that people can receive. And Facebook is not the best spot for a delicate message. Um, and so many people want to take it on and they're like, ooh, they're wrong. Let me bash them on Facebook. That's not going to help. That's a, that's, that's a fight. That is a conflict. But I, you learn that if I can speak gently, I can see things change. If rather than accusing, I can come up and separate the person from the problem and have a conversation. Because if I walk up to you and go, you, you got this problem, I can't believe you did this. If you are anywhere near normal, your natural response is defensive. When someone attacks, you like get your shield and you are like ready and you're probably gonna attack back. And it's like, they're like, you did this. And then the response is, well, yeah, but do you know what you did? And yeah, maybe I forgot this, but last week you did. And they just like, it becomes a mud flinging contest. And at the end, everybody's dirty and nobody wins. But when we can come to them and go, hey, the other day this happened. And I can separate the person from the problem. Now we can come alongside each other and we can navigate it. We can go, hey, that, that hurt. You know what? Hey, I don't think this was the wisest way to do it. And when we choose that carefully, Proverbs says that an offended brother is more unyielding than a strong city and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. When I can choose not to set them up in defense, but to go, hey, Hey, let's, let's talk about this over here. I can change it. With my kids, I want to, to work to not, I want to work to separate them from the problem and not go, you, you did you this, but going, hey, do you think that's a good idea? What do you think happens? And if I can become with them and take that action that they just did that was wrong and I can separate it, I can now have a conversation with them and be on their side. I remember listening to someone speak years ago, and so in all fairness, I stole this, but he, he, he was talking about how important it was to let them know that I am for you, even if I have to be against an action that they had, that they took. I am not thrilled with the fact that they broke something, hit somebody, whatever it is, but I want to go, I am for you, and that's not okay, and that's not where you want to go, and that's not who you want to be. And it, it's true with our kids, it, it's, but it, it's true in so many of the conversations that we have. When we make them feel like they're the problem, they're going to retaliate and they're going to try to defend. I remember when I was in high school, uh, jeans that were like enorm enormous were in style. And like, it was like the guy's wearing like two dresses on his legs and you're like, what is going on? I don't, I don't know. Honestly, they look like clowns um, because the, the pants just didn't fit. They were hanging low. They had enough room for both legs to like walk comfortably inside of one pant leg. 
And then they would have like a chain down here to help hold something up or to keep them from losing their wallet. Actually, it's because the pant pockets went from here to here. So if you wanted to find your wallet, you had to like grab the chain and pull it out. Otherwise, they're like, oh, excuse me, let me find my, you know, anyways. So I had, I had some friends who, who had the stylish pants that were ridiculous. And I was talking to my mom and in this instant, she, instead of going and asking a question or talking about the style, she's like, she brought up, she's like, hey, I'll just name my friend Bob. I don't like Bob's pants. I think they look like clown pants. Now, she was right. But she just attacked my friend. So where do I now stand on this issue? In opposition to my mom. Because rather than having a conversation and going, hey, and separating my friend from the pants and going, hey, um, so what do you think of the pants? If she'd asked me, I'd have been like, it's going to be hard to do anything. <laughs> like, they're, they're, a, they're a bit crazy. But when she attacked the person, I had to defend the person, even though I disagreed with the person, and so often, we don't realize that we're starting things off with attacks. And if we want to see progress, if we want to see it change, we want to come at them with love. We want to come at it quite, like, gently. Saying it louder doesn't make me right. But it probably is going to put them on the opposition. If someone comes in yelling, you're probably going to freeze, fight, or flight. They freeze. They're probably not listening. They're just going, how do I make it stop? How do I make it stop? They run away. You didn't have a conversation. And if they fight you, then no one wins. And so there's this, this thing of going, all right, let's, let's say things quiet. Let's say it gently. Let's, let's say it with honor. Let's say it humbly, not elevating myself. It's so easy for people to get online and to just bash. Anybody who disagrees with me is an idiot. Da, 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 da. And then they, they state their opinion. That does not make friends. That is not the best way to influence people. Next, if we want to pass on our faith, is number eight. We need to pray. We need to be people of prayer. And when we pray, there is so much that happens. And I think that there's... There's some amazing prayers that I would encourage you to pray. If you've got a loved one that you're praying for, the one, that, one of the ones that I have just been loving this last several months um, is Acts chapter 26, verse, I think it's 18, and it's highlighted yellow. There it is. At least it's highlighted yellow in my Bible. That's one of the reasons that having, so I love marking my Bible. You get close and all of a sudden, there it is. And so... Rabbit trail. Uh, as you get into your word, if you mark it, it will help it come alive to you. It'll help you go back to the things. It'll help you meditate on the word and help you again see it as you come back the next time. I'll read through and see something that I underlined and you're like, oh, or see the note that I put on the side. And it's so powerful. So here it says, he's, he's talking, he goes, all right, to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith. And I'm like, this is, this is something I need to pray. 
And so I started praying and going, all right, who's on the top of my prayer list? God, I thank you that you would open up their eyes, that they would turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they would receive forgiveness of sins and a place among, among those who are sanctified by faith in you, Lord. And you, I'd throw their name in there. And I begin to pray for them. And you get to pray off of 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that God would, would open up their eyes, that the blinders that Satan has put on their eyes would be removed. And you go through, and there's so many of these, these verses that we can pray um, that God would grant them repentance so that they would know the truth and that they could come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil and that they would be set free from where they've been captive to do his will. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25 and 26. Um, just to name a few. But I was thinking, why do a lot of us not spend more time praying for the loved ones that we have that we want to see come know Jesus? And a lot of it comes down to we've forgot what prayer does. If you think that prayer is informative or that prayer is to convince God, you will be lax in your prayers. Because you're like, well, God already knows. God can see them cussing. God can see what they're doing. God doesn't need me to tell you that they're lost. God said he loves them, so I don't need to pray. But when we recognize that prayer is our opportunity to partner with God, Jesus told us to pray. Uh, he says, pray this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So he told me I'm supposed to pray what he wants. So I am not informing him. I am not convincing him. I am partnering with him. And it's a matter of authority. And there's a whole message that we can do on that. But I want you to understand that your prayers matter. Your prayers do a work in them and your prayers do a work in you and your prayer allows God to do a work on them. And I have been so amazed at people that I've prayed for. People that I've said, you know what? My, like, I, I just want them to come to know my Jesus. <clears throat> and I prayed for them. And I don't think any of them got saved when I first prayed. I don't think any of them when it was like a one and done. It was like, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. In fact, in college, I documented it. It was an assignment. They're like, all right, hey, I want you to keep a prayer journal for our prayer class. I'm like, all right, bring it on. My boss needs to know Jesus. And so I started praying and I, I started praying and I started inviting and I prayed and I invited and I prayed and I invited and she kept coming up with creative excuses. She's like, I want to go to church with you. I'm like, great. And I keep praying and inviting. And she's like, oh, this week I couldn't make it because we were low on gas or we had a flat tire or we threw a belt or because somebody had a birthday or because she had so many excuses. It was crazy. But I just kept praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. And eventually she came to church and she didn't get saved. My God, keep praying and keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. And finally, I mean, the first time she, she came to, to church, I'd been inviting her for months and she finally came and I wasn't there. My parents had just come into the country and I'd flew, flown with them out of town, but there were several other people who I'd gotten hired there and they were with her. But the next time I was there and I'm praying and I'm praying. And so when she's going to come, I'm like, she's actually going to be here. She texts me, she's on her way. I'm going around to like all of my friends. I'm like, all right, my boss is coming and you are praying. They're like, what? You are praying tonight for my boss because she needs Jesus. And like next one, all right, you are praying for my boss because we are going to see her come to know Jesus. And service gets going and we're getting to the end of service and, and the pastor's doing the altar call and I'm excited. I cheated. 
Like he'll be one of those like, Ugh! like she's sitting next to me and he's like, you know, he gets the altar call. He's going to have him raise their hand. And I'm all like, she didn't raise her hand. She needs Jesus. And I prayed again. So I've been praying now for my time. I just prayed. I'm like, God, tell the pastor to ask, have you asked the person next to you if they need to go down, if they need to give their life to Jesus? I had not finished that prayer in my heart. And the pastor stops and goes, hey, I want you to turn to the person next to you and ask them if they need to come give their life to Jesus. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I turned to my boss and I said, hey, do you need to give your life to Jesus? And she just grabbed my hand and started walking for the altar. I'm like, heck yeah! <laughs> and I want to encourage you because I know that there are some of you guys who have prayed and given up. I know some of you, there are grandmas in here who've been praying for the last 15 years for that kid. Do not give up. You keep praying and you keep praying and you pray for them. You pray that their heart would be soft. You pray that God would open up their eyes. You pray that God would send godly men and women around them that would surround them, that would encourage them, that would point them to Jesus. You pray that they would lose their appetite for sin, that sin would become repulsive to them, that they would be drawn to the Lord. You pray and you just begin to pray over that heart. You begin to pray for them over and over and you do your part. You invite, you do your part to share. You do your part to say it kindly, but you pray and you pray and you pray. You watch God do what you never thought was possible. And as we we pray for the lost, there's someone here that I've been praying for. There's someone watching online. You may not know that we we pray for you, that, that... the pastor's always praying for those that are going to come in that they could encounter Jesus. It's not just come see worship, come hear a message. But people have an opportunity to start a relationship with Jesus, to give their life to Jesus. We pray for hearts to be softened, for the word to take root, for people to come to know Jesus. And if you're here and you don't know my Jesus. He wants to know you. If you have not encountered his forgiveness, tonight you can. And you may have heard a lot about God. It's not enough to, to know about him. There are those who sit here and say, you know what, I, I, I know all about God. I've been coming to church since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. But I'm not living for him. I want to give you an opportunity today to give him your life because he gave his for you. He died the price that we couldn't pay. and He rose so that we could live with him forever. And we're going to say a prayer. The Bible says whoever calls on his name will be saved. So I'm going to invite you all who've either done this or say today I want to make Jesus my Lord to pray with me. And then I'll give people a chance to say, hey, that was me. God answered your prayer today because I gave my life to Jesus. So if you'll join me, go ahead and bow your heads, pray with me. Say, God, thank you for loving me even when I make mistakes. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid the price for my sins. 
I believe he rose again, victorious over sin, death, and the devil. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I receive Jesus as my King and my Lord. I will no longer live for myself. I will live for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Head still bowed, eyes still closed. Today, if you made that decision, said, hey, today I made him my Lord. I came back to him. I'm gonna count to three. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. If you're online, you can type that's me in a chat. But if you made that decision today, get ready. One, two, three. Raise them up nice and high. Awesome, I see your hand and your hand and your hand and your hand. Who else? Says, that's me. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, God, I thank you for each person who, who made that decision today that you would continue to soften their hearts and draw them towards you, that you'd reveal yourself to them, that they could know you and live for you each day, that this wouldn't be a highlight, but a life changed. And God, that they would walk with you all of their days, that you would give them a revelation of who you are and of who you made them to be. And I thank you that you'd surround them with godly men and women and give them a hunger for you and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.